0: I'm Faith Jones. I'm a librarian and translator in Vancouver, Canada. Hi, Faith. Hey, Eric.
1: Oh, I, I'm Eric Klein, and I'm a podcaster and radio producer in Portland, Oregon.
2: Oh, okay, and I'm Michael Wax. I'm a writer and translator, and I'm in Toronto, in Ontario.
0: How are yeah. things with How? you, Wax?
2: Oh, not too bad. Not too bad I'm with, with you.
0: Well, I'm. I'm uh I've been really busy, but it's uh, it's all good. It's all good oh, stuff. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, so my translation fellowship, we're having the last um the last residential meeting. Um so that's where we go out to Amherst for basically a oh, whole right. weekend. So, wh- that when's was, that gonna um, be? That's next weekend. Uh-huh. So I'm spending this weekend getting my text together to send them. And I've been trying some new translation techniques. My mentor told me about a friend of hers who's um, a translator from, I think, from Spanish into, I'm going to go with Swedish, maybe Norwegian, one of those languages. Yeah. And this guy doesn't do drafts. He just translates. (laughs) And whatever he writes, that's That's the translator. And... He's this really well-considered translator. Is he doing literary
2: literary translation? Literary translation,
0: yeah, literary translation. So I find this astonishing. So I just tried it with a short story, and it goes really, really slowly, really slowly. Mm. But on the other hand, it's done.
2: Yeah, that's... (laughs) I I once... (laughs) I got like this thing uh, somebody else had passed on the job but hadn't let anybody know, and they needed Boris Tomaszewski's entire autobiography translated inside of a week. <laughs> uh, that book's about 600 pages. And four and I, pages, I, mean, I think. Uh, you know, it's, at least it reads quick. It's a fast read, put it that mm. way. But I mean, I just sat there, I didn't, act, it's the only time, I mean, not only did I not make a draft, I hadn't read the book. Right. Because uh, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't have time to read it. I just sat there with like, you know, the book in front of me at the typewriter. <laughs> and as much as I would read, you know, I would do a paragraph, read it over to make sure I hadn't omitted any words or done anything really dumb and then just go on. <laughs> And I must have worked like twelve hours a day for that week
0: uh, <laughs> yet yeah, not not really considered you know translation technique, right? I mean, that's just like yeah, yeah that's
2: sort yeah, of you know,
0: translation uh, sWAT team
2: yeah, well, again, you know, fortunately it wasn't you know, he'd obviously dictated the thing,
0: ah, so wow, was, that's interesting
2: it was not terribly you know, sophisticated stylistically. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't have to worry about that. I mean, he repeats himself all the time. They use the same words, you know, right over and over. It's like, if you say big at the beginning of the sentence, he will say big at the end of the sentence. So I, I didn't, I didn't even worry about that. <laughs> just figuring if anybody calls me on it. Also, I was just trying to reproduce the style of the original, <laughs> the author's voice. Which was basically, look (laughs) at me, I'm great, I'm superb. (laughs) Because right after I did that, I read Bessie Tomaszewski's autobiography, which I think had been ghosted by Henry's uncle.
0: Oh, yes, I think you're right. I'm remembering that now. What
2: was amazing is, from comparing the two books, you might work out that these people had met somewhere (laughs) and and unhappily worked in a couple of shows together.
0: But that was it. Yes, Uh,
2: I mean, you know, he has all these stories, but I'm like, but when he met Bessie about how they had a gig in Baltimore and he came in and he was triumphant and he was this and that, and she's like, you know, basically there were these bums on the street, (laughs)
0: Uh, and we took them in and shaped them into
1: actors,
2: pretty much, yeah.
0: Do you know who these people are, Eric?
1: Nope. Just I'm just uh, along for the ride here. <laughs> okay. Yeah, these We're are, this was the, really... the big Yiddish
2: theater couple. Right. Okay. Uh, they're the grandparents of Michael Tilson Thomas.
1: Okay. He, he, uh, yeah. he, he gave a lot of money to my middle school. Mm. Ah. <laughs> I,
2: he I he probably... gave a lot of money for, like, a big project devoted to them, too.
0: Yeah. Well, yes, this, uh, How funny. this was a very, very colorful couple.
2: Yeah, these were hams like you don't get anymore. Uh, But the thing is, there's almost no record of anything they did. You know, they were stage actors. Right. And he was in one movie towards the end of his life. And he was terrible. And everybody knew he was terrible. Have you seen it, Lex? Pardon? Have you seen it? The movie, Uh, have you seen it? I've seen the excerpts. A long time ago, hmm. uh, and I think she made a couple of. I think she made some records, which I have not heard.
1: So that that makes me want to <laughs> drag us into a, a real interview about Yiddish literature. Oh, um, okay. Do you think, uh, do you think there's a uh, a resonance? Is the is the literature written in Yiddish like a like a piece of theater that lived in a different time? Does it have, you know, can can an old audience, I mean, can a new audience participate?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, that's like saying, you know, can you read War and Peace or Dickens or something? Uh, I think that actually adds to it in many ways. You know, to do, there are people now, and Faith knows some of them too, that are writing Yiddish literature today, although very few of them are writing novels. plays and part of the thing about now is like if I wrote a novel in Yiddish about people living now unless they happen to be chesidim it would be like why is this in Yiddish none of these people is actually living in Yiddish there is no audience that is uh, confined to Yiddish they can't get this anywhere else you know, it's like translating. It's it's like when I translated the Three Penny Opera, which I still don't understand the point of. <laughs> is you why don't understand translate the point of the translation? Ah. Yeah, why translate something from a language that lots of people know into a language that nobody knows, and have the subtitles in a third language that everybody knows?
1: Right. I'm sorry. Wait. What? What? Are you, what project are you referencing now?
2: A few years ago, about 15 years ago, I got hired to translate the Three Penny Opera out of German and into Yiddish for a production, which was, in fact, produced. Okay. And even then, I mean, the, the, the people doing it got really mad at me because I got interviewed by the CBC and they said, why are you doing this? I said, they're paying me. <laughs> uh, not very well either. Uh, and they hadn't got copyright clearance, so all my money went to lawyers. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, they lied to me about having the rights. <laughs> oh, ho- but, horrible. Uh, um, you know, I, I can understand, I can even understand something like The Death of a Salesman, the chain is in now. You know, the, the cliche about Arthur Miller is basically he was writing in Yiddish. Right. You know, he was suppressing the whole Jewish thing. Uh, so that, you know, okay, that's going to bring out something that is latent in the play that you know you might not get from the English I can see that like somebody wrote a really stupid article on tablet about how this isn't Yiddish theater this is American theater and there's no point in translating it into Yiddish because we can all speak English and that already is you know like I said I think that misses the point yeah right. Well, we'd have but to with something like something like the three-penny opera that has absolutely no connection Uh, where to do it really authentically. And I mean, I had trouble with with the director and with the cast because they couldn't understand the Yiddish that I put it into, which tried to, you know, work the same way as Brecht's German. You you had to translate it from the German, uh, as the German did. So, you know, it mixes up criminal slang and very highfalutin Marxist ideas, and stuff, and people, you know, people who have only spoken Yiddish to their mother in the kitchen have no vocabulary for this stuff, Right. and will deny that it exists, you know, yes. if they see a word they don't know, they'll tell you it's not a real word. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: uh, it actually sounds like a fascinating translation project, right, trying to get all those registers.
2: Oh, and- it, was a, it was a nightmare. Uh, I mean, it was just so difficult because right. so much of that stuff uh, follows. Firstly, they had, you know, the lyrics were written first and then set to music. One of the things Vile tried to do was follow speech rhythms in the music. And of course, German rhythm and Yiddish rhythm are completely backwards. Right. Wow. Uh So, you know, where Yiddish stresses a word is not where German stresses what might be an identical word if you transcribe it and write it down. So it's like even doing something as well-known as Mac the Knife, I had to change it. Hmm. Wow. Do you
0: remember what you came up with? Uh,
2: The whole thing? Vaguely. I mean, I've got it here. I finally... Somebody stole a copy for me. I didn't even have a copy <laughs> left because I'd done it on an old computer on, fl- on a floppy disk. Ooh. Uh, but, you know, some of it starts off, you know, the, you know, the high uh, fish, but also, you know, it's got, a, and all of these things, they rhyme, they scan. And with some of them, like Mac the Knife, everybody knows them. Right. So you can't really mess with it too much. Hmm. No, it was it was an immense... I mean, I can remember days where I got, like, a couplet done in eight hours of work. Right. And it would take, like, the whole eight hours banging my head against the wall.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: Um, well, I never did answer your actual question. So. What was
1: the question? <laughs> yeah, what was the question? Well,
2: does Yiddish literature have anything... Right. Really to say to people now. Right. And particularly to people now who don't speak Yiddish, which is just about everybody. Uh, and I was saying, well, yeah, you know, it's a question: does any literature have anything to say to anybody? You know, the questions you ask about Yiddish Yiddish literature, especially the major fiction, which is all fairly old by this time. I mean, you could ask this of anything, you know, does Tolstoy or Dickens or any of those people, does Flaubert have anything to say to a modern audience? And I think, you know, the answer is it depends on what part of the literature. The good stuff, yes. The crap, no. You know, but the crap never had anything to say to anybody to start with. Uh, well, the there's good some stuff really, will transcend, really... you know, time, etc.
0: Although some but of the crap is a... really, really fun.
2: It's fun in Yiddish. I don't know how much fun it is in translation.
0: Probably not. Probably not.
1: Yeah. So I wonder, this is a horrible thing to do to a translator, probably. But is there a way to 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 share the fun with an English-speaking audience?
0: Well, the, the crap is so... A lot of it is so era-specific. Like, um... Wex, who was that woman who wrote, you know, Togbuch von Ellen de Maidel and all those kinds of... What was her name? Uh, okay. That'll come to me. Yeah. Uh, there was this woman who wrote about five or six novels quite early on, like 1910s and 20s. And, um and they're just they're you know they're just uh you know they're they're very uh formulaic um but they're they're pitched sometimes as things like a novel of free love <laughs> um so this is you know it's picking up on on freudianism it's picking up on uh you know sexual liberation movements of the time um i i don't i don't know that it can really be I mean, it is fun for a Yiddish reader to, you know, uh, and everything gets resolved in the end when she agrees mm-hmm. to an arranged marriage. Um, I, you know, I don't know how I don't know how that matters now, um, unless you um, have a sort of a framework of Yiddish literature and Jewish culture and are working it into that. Um, I think I think it does need the frame.
2: Yeah, I mean stuff like that especially that was uh serialized in the newspapers. Uh, it really dates badly. Uh it tends you know it's like uh it's like reading penny dreadfuls or uh pulp novels, like bad pulp novels too, not uh not, um, you know, Dashiell Hammond or something.
0: Right. Uh,
2: it, it tends not to, uh, oh, I, I know her name, uh, Car- Miriam Karpalov, Yes.
0: Karpilova. Karpolov, uh, yeah. Karpol- Yes. That's yeah. her. Yes. So yeah.
2: I actually haven't read any of that stuff, but so here- I used to read, well, yeah, you know, I, I used to, uh, When I was a kid, I would earn pocket money by reading the paper to old people that had trouble seeing. And, you know, the Forverts and the other papers, they always had serialized novels running in them. You know, the Yiddish press, even in the 60s, was like the Victorian English press. And I would have to read these, you know, the next installment quite often. I mean, I was a kid and these things were horrible
0: the the poet i worked on for many years celia dropkin she uh, um she and her family like many people had real money trouble during the depression and uh and she wrote a serialized novel and she was not a novelist she wrote some short stories which i would say are 50/50 mm. some of them are great some of them just you know it, they would have been better if she had made them poems uh, right. She was she was primarily a poet and in, in poetry she had, I think she had real inspiration. I don't think she was particularly interested in fiction. Um, but you could make money with stories and with especially with serialized novels. Serialized yeah. novels were the way to make a living. So she did a serialized novel and her son who died just about 10 years ago now, um, but he was still alive when I was working on the project and I was lucky to be able to talk with him he gave me lots of insight um, mm. but he he remembered them sitting around the dining room table discussing what should be the next cliffhanger oh, how right. she should how she should do it because every every single you know so that's like 1500 words you get 1500 words then you need a cliffhanger right 1500 words another cliffhanger and reading these things now I mean I photocopied almost the whole thing out of, off the microfilm of the, of the forwards. I, you know, broke my eyes trying to read this thing, you know, after about seven or eight installments, I was done. Mm. It, it's just, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, I mean, especially with her because she wasn't a novelist. I think Miriam Karpalova's stuff is actually, was actually, is actually fun to read but um but in this case it was just really she was really just keeping it going as long as she possibly could cuz she needed the cash yeah and uh boy is that stuff bad it's hilarious <laughs> but it's you know a- after a few times okay i've i've got it now i've got the pattern
1: yeah yeah so okay so you worked translating that into english then
0: i did not translate the oh, novel into english you no just i read didn't.
1: it
2: I, yeah, I, mean, I i think
0: I, yeah I read Certainly. some of it. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the, I didn't have the internal fortitude to go through the whole thing. Right. And
2: so. Yeah, I mean, the thing with a lot of that junk, well, just about all of that junk, is it's never been translated so that people listening to the podcast would have no access to it. Uh, and, unless they knew Yiddish.
0: And there's there's probably a good reason for that. I mean, a, even a lot yeah. of the really high-end stuff, like the Beshevis Singer serialized novels, you know, most of them have not been collater translated. Um, actually, actually I guess most of the novels have. No, they, it's just most of the short stories haven't. Um, I think there's there might be one or two still lying there. Novels still lying there untranslated, but they're not I mean, yeah, I mean I, I think again like th- there was a money making aspect to this. So oh, totally yeah. I think if Bashevis were still alive and were going to translate that, he would go through his usual process of editing them, changing them changing them for an English audience, but also changing them out of the serialized format. Yeah. um, Which he did with most of his other translated work, not absolutely 100%, but most of it he did that. And I think, you know, Bashevis is is notorious for, um, you know, meddling with his own work later on. Uh, But I do think it was to a purpose. I mean, he was writing on a deadline. He was writing as prolifically as possible you know, for financial reasons. And I think there is a purpose when you're putting it into a more permanent form to rethinking oh,
2: but, it. Well, they all did that, though. I mean, you know, his brother also. Oh,
0: Most yeah? Most of that
2: stuff was published in the foreword. as says serials, you know, the the Breeder and the Mishpuche and Yoshe kalb they, they were all serialized. I think, uh, yeah. I'm sure he went back, and those are pretty tightly constructed books i mean he obviously he must have made changes to put them into you know between covers
0: i think you're right yes that makes a lot of sense because they do have
2: um i mean they 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 all did you know dickens did too you know i know dickens scholars like you know one of the things they go after is the install because you know dickens's things tended to be published two or three times like they'd be in the uh whatever magazine and then installments would come out in kind of chapbook form. And then finally you would get the three volume novel. And of course, you know, when it's coming out sequentially like that, you have to keep reminding people what's been happening.
0: Yeah.
2: There always has to be a, you know, last week on Mad Men (laughs) or whatever, or, you know, at least bringing back what, you know, particularly in in a big book, where you're gonna scatter stuff through and have various subplots running. You know, stuff that people will have forgotten about or have trouble remembering who is this person that's suddenly reappearing that I'm supposed to know who they are. Uh, They need to be reminded one way or the other. And you either need for that a synopsis or that kind of repetitious expositional description, you know, Joe, who had previously left his wife because he was <laughs> in love with the bicycle, uh, you know, something like that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't think that a lot of that stuff, because, you know, again, at the time of Sholem Aleichem, there was another writer who was just about as popular and possibly more so named uh, Itchemeier Dick who is fascinating if you can read Yiddish because the stuff is full of dialect and dialect terms and proverbs and idioms that aren't recorded anywhere else. Also, folklore stuff comes up in there a lot. They're just not very good novels. And I think somebody translated a volume of selections a number of years ago. But, you know, that stuff's of interest, but not for literary reasons.
0: So Wex, let me ask you
2: yeah.
0: if the uh, the novel that hasn't been translated, the the Beshevis singer novel that was serialized and has never was never published in book form in either Yiddish or in English, mm-hmm. um, If that novel were given to you as a project to translate, would you translate it straight or would you make the alterations that you think Beshevis would have made or no. that you think improve it for a current
2: audience? Oh, no, i would translate it straight you know as straight as you can because that's that's what's there i'm not but yeah you know, you've got no right to go in and do that uh, no matter how much insight i might think i have into his work i'm still not him and you know all we've got is what he left behind yeah it's it's like those people that go and you know finish uh, the mystery of edwin drood or finish that jane austen book or something uh i really i've got no patience for that kind of thing you know particularly when they're never finished by anybody of comparable stature to the original (laughs) author like it would at least be interesting if You know, uh, if Ford Maddox Ford or Joyce or Saul Bellow or somebody decided to finish The Mystery of Edwin Drood, it would have some intrinsic interest. But, you know, if just anybody does it, or, you know, those guys finishing uh, the, the Ian Fleming novels and stuff, who are often, you know, better writers than Ian Fleming ever was, but doesn't alter the fact they're just not Ian Fleming right so yeah I I mean I would just do it straight and
0: and is that something that is I mean you are yourself a very accomplished writer is it the kind of thing where you're sort of you can see the author making mistakes and you're just like zenning out about it or you know how, how does how is that for you
2: well, I mean, I've never actually translated anything like, you know, that kind of serialization that was never, never revised. Anything I've done, you know, the literary nature has been of a, a finished work. But you know, you certainly learn. <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, when I was translating Mendele Mocher forum, I mean, you really learn what a what a writer's strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, you know, you kind of you get a feeling for what's going on inside or, you know, underneath the page as it were and you can see, you know, like Mandela I have no problem saying this is a guy who had no interest in his characters generally uh, had no particular interest in plot you know, what he liked to write was set pieces Mm -hmm. and he did it better than anybody you know he liked actually writing prose. And if you think about it, you know, modern Yiddish prose style and modern Hebrew prose style, both come straight out of him. Right. Uh, he's a great writer. He's not a good novelist. And I think he can make that distinction. Uh, you know, this Finger*, the main book of his, the Wishing mm-hmm. Ring that I translated, uh, was originally published, I believe it was serialized, and he paid so little attention to it that he didn't always get the details straight from one <laughs> one segment to the next. I, you know, fifty pages in the book switches from a first person to a third person narrator <laughs> with no anything. And I'm not, like reading this thing. I was like, wait, have I missed something? <laughs> and awesome. I was so convinced it was me. I started looking at secondary sources. And at least had it confirmed that, no, it's not me, it's him. So
1: so what did you do as a, as the translator in that situation? Did you put a I note? I just to-
2: left it. Well, uh, 50 pages out of a two-volume book in the first – no, I just left it as it was. I think I mentioned something in the introduction. Right. Uh, but, uh, no, you, you had to leave it. I mean, the rest of the book wouldn't have worked in the first person, especially because he started – you know, cutting away. Not every chapter necessarily f- had the main character in it. So it couldn't have stayed a first-person narration. So, the, the, you know, there was no way to deal with that.
1: So one of the interesting things about this project is that um, we're, we're, we're going to try to pick books that have been translated into English so that there's something... Uh, for me to read, <laughs> and then if anyone else wants to join me, right, in podcast audience land. But also um, something that maybe wasn't translated that well, right, is one of the best books to pick or or stories to pick first because of the fact then uh, since you and Faith can read in, in-, in Yiddish, uh, there's value that you can add to the discussion. It's not just we're talking about plot. And technique where there's something, there's something, or, or there's just something that's untranslatable. There's something well, serious I mean, that's missing. Say the,
2: that's, say, the case with a lot of the singer stuff. Uh, How so? Where things just get smoothed over. Uh, obviously, with his consent, I mean, he, he clearly had a very strong idea of what English speaking, you know, non Yiddish speaking English readers would and wouldn't get.
1: Which singer book? I mean, which singer? Any I of. I mean, I'm sorry, which author? Singer. When you say singer, you mean... Isaac Bichette, right. sorry, yeah. That's okay.
2: Uh, but uh, like something like Opatoshu, like, you know, in, in Poyla Chevelder, which has been badly translated, you just get something that's not readable. Right. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how how many people without access to the original, would actually be able to sit through the English. You know, there's one thing if you get a translation that's good in the sense of you can sit and read it and enjoy it, but it's not maybe as faithful to the original as it could have been uh, is, is one thing.
0: It's showing a good strong signal.
1: We can hear, Faith, hello. Oh.
0: Oh hello! Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, you oh. missed you missed part of our conversation there.
0: Yeah, I, I don't were know six out? or seven minutes.
1: Oh, how funny! Uh, oh, so that was I, all
2: the bad. good stuff. Yeah.
1: No wonder. Oh yeah, too bad. So, uh, what I was what what I prompted Michael with, and then he had a ten minute answer that you missed, was that um, <laughs> this idea that there's there might be a, a certain energy to this project uh, to picking the sorts of things that were. The sorts of thing, the sorts of Yiddish literature that was translated into English and exists, so that uh, non-Yiddish speakers such as myself can read those things to participate in a conversation about the stories. But that, um, that in the end, what the there are there are things missing from the translation that are so important that they'll lend themselves well to being talked about when you and Michael and anyone else who participates who reads Yiddish you know, shane baker if he joins us uh that that you'll have you'll have a lot to add so it's this interesting thing like if something was translated perfectly then it's not necessarily the best book for us uh
2: well, yeah, but th- there is no there um, is no I'm... perfectly
0: uh yeah i mean that that leaves a lot of scope there um
2: you know, yeah. something, something always gets lost.
0: In fact, maybe we could look at your translation of, uh, what were you just telling us about, Vinchfinger? Yeah.
2: That's...
0: And we could look at all the translation challenges there.
2: Yeah, well, that was a nightmare. I mean, that, that was a very difficult book. Uh, you know, other people have tried to translate it and given up. Tell,
1: uh, tell us uh, explicitly what book you're talking about.
2: It's a book by Mendel and Weicher's Forum, or S.Y.S.J. Abramowitz, uh, which was his real name, uh, which I translated a few years ago into English and under the title of The Wishing Ring. And the reason I did it, somebody came to me and said, like, if there was one Yiddish novel, if I was to hire you to translate a Yiddish novel that hasn't been translated, what do you think is the most important thing? Is the most important one. Uh-huh. I said this because part of the reason is uh, another well-known Yiddish writer, uh, who was also Sholem Aleichem's son-in-law, said, "Christ, like in 1915, he said if a storm should come and wipe away all of East European Jewry, you could rebuild it from this novel." Wow. You know, so it was like this really comprehensive look at what life was like in the Pale Settlement in Russia and basically how awful it all was. Uh, so that, that was the reason I decided to do it. The thing is, it's... You know, not only does he forget who the main character is periodically. <laughs> uh, you know, you've got all these things. I mean, you get like this... Victorian high drama. You know, the the main female character ends up in a whorehouse, but never actually has sex. <laughs> right. She manages to beat them off with a death. That's the wrong term, isn't it? She manages to... She not beat them off. She fought them off with, with her fists and her resolve until she could be... Re- you know. Right. But you also get a really good and fairly early picture of something that people don't like to talk about, which is the Jewish white slave trade. International prostitution, you know, shipping women across oceans for immoral purposes was primarily a Jewish business. And of course, anybody who knows anything about the history of Jews in Argentina uh, knows that, you know... Amongst the earliest Jewish settlers there were these pimps and whores who ended up, they had their own separate Jewish community.
1: This is the first time hearing this, Michael. <laughs>
0: Seriously? Yep. Oh, it's a fascinating, fascinating story. Yes. Yes. I'm
2: sure. I the first, time I, the first time I read about it, I was in high school, and I, I just thought it was an anti-Semitic slander. I didn't believe it. <laughs> right, of course. I'm like... I don't even know Jews that have sex, how could they be doing this? It's uh
0: yeah, but it's uh it was a big business, and it also <clears throat> I think it also had a lot to do with I don't know the Jewish underworld and other things that were sort of connected to prostitution. Um, yeah, well,
2: we forget how many Jewish criminals there were. And there, you know, not everybody was, but there was a fairly high Jewish crime rate. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Right. Well, and that would be because, like, I mean, isn't that that's that's part of the propaganda that 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 justifies the Holocaust? And so, post Holocaust, it's not, you know, if you if you're the one person that knows the secret, you're not necessarily you don't feel a. a well, this,
2: this is much earlier
1: on, though. I, well, uh, yeah, but but I mean, if if you're going to hide a history, if you need a justification to hide it, uh, the kind I of think, paranoia after World yeah, War II makes I sense. Yeah, I think
0: even at the time, I think oh, there was the a time. lot of there was a lot of shame around it, and people sure. tried to dismiss it. I know in Argentina, I mean, when Wax says they had a separate Jewish community, they had to have a separate Jewish yeah, community. They weren't, allowed, they weren't allowed, allowed in the synagogues. They weren't allowed in the cemeteries. Uh, They had to create their own community um, because they were shunned.
2: Yeah, and and they were shunned for two reasons, one of which was most of the women they were shipping were also Jewish. So it wasn't even like they were exploiting members of another group. They were exploiting their own Uh, was one thing. And, of course, it was, you know, the old thing. It gives everybody a bad name. Uh, to the point where in Warsaw, in the early part of the 20th century, there were anti-pimp riots led by guys who would otherwise have been considered the toughs of the Jewish community, (laughs) like, you know, the butchers and stuff, you know, like butchers and porters, like the heavies of the Jewish community started attacking the pimps. Uh Uh-huh. And in order to try and put a stop to this.
1: And you're saying that that's, that's a a fact of Jewish life from the previous century that has I, been left out of Yiddish literature for the most part.
2: No, it's not. No, it, it figures in Yiddish literature. Okay. Uh, it's just that, you know, people tend not to know about this aspect of Jewish life.
1: Right. Well, so I'm bringing it back around yeah. to literature because um, uh, now, it- now that you've piqued my interest, which book should we talk about? You know, in that from from that uh from that underworld.
2: Well, there's you know, any of sholomash you know, Sholemash, uh you know, the father of the guy that started Folkways Records, he wrote a lot about Jewish criminals. And I'm pretty sure that all of his stuff is translated. Faith, do you know if the the Street stuff has been translated into English?
0: I'm like you. I would assume so. I mean, he was—he was a very, very big name in his day. Yeah. My mother, when I told him I her, I was reading Sholem in Yiddish. It turned out she didn't actually know that he was originally published in Yiddish. In wow. her generation, she's she's eighty. In her generation, he was a major American author. Oh yeah, he
2: was like a best-selling. You know, you got his books from the Book of the Month Club. Okay.
0: He seems to have really been forgotten uh, in English more than in Yiddish, but. He was just a he was just a regular writer, um, and I think probably everything has been mined at this point.
2: Yeah, I would think so. I mean, certainly, I think Motka Kaganov is you know a, a full length novel like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure has been translated. I'm sure
0: and, it is. Yes,
2: and you know all of the you know Uncle Moses and God of Vengeance and all of that stuff is definitely translated.
0: Oh, I'd love to do Uncle Moses one of my favorite Yiddish books and
2: yeah and that's uh, you know that I know has been translated so so which means it's probably available online and, <laughs> uh, you know no at the Internet yeah. Archive thing
0: oh you mean the uh, the the original it probably is
2: well the original too but also the translation let's I can try typing it in here uh, because uh, Uncle Moses, is a novel digitized by Google.
1: There you go. there you go. so a free a free book for for us to choose if if, if we desire.
2: And I think a lot of these are going to end up being free, you know, except for people like uh, Isaac Kacheva, singer. right. Uh, most of this stuff is probably not in, you know it doesn't stay in print that's:
0: but... And something like Sholemash, who was he was translated as he was writing. So, a lot of that stuff is, I mean, Uncle Moses, I think, is from the 1910s. It's very early.
2: Also, a lot of it, this one isn't. Uh, Uncle Moses is translated by Isaac Goldberg, uh, who also did the bad version, I think, of uh, Impoilish of Elder.
0: I was about to say Uh, that's likely to be a very poor translation. (laughs) Yeah.
2: But uh,
0: Isaac Goldberg, Eric, Isaac Goldberg is sort of the quintessential hack
2: translator yeah yeah okay but a lot of the shalomash stuff was translated by edwin muir the poet uh he and his wife used to translate well they, they didn't actually translate yiddish from yiddish they translated german translations okay uh because i know that edwin muir translated to state uh-huh. uh you know three cities or at least i'm pretty sure he did
1: uh, Yeah, when you guys were talking uh, earlier.
2: Yeah. Well, oh, on... boy, this translation sucks already. Uh, <laughs> I'm on page one. And it's... The, the sun was setting over lower New York. It seemed that of all places in the world, she, that is the sun, she had chosen as the scene of her setting the towering, darkening structures that rose on the banks of the East River. Yet oh, despite Christ. the height of these box-like edifices, despite the rivalry in which one sought to climb higher than the other, here, from the Williamsburg Bridge, they appeared humble and diminutive against the lofty dome of the sky, like so many card houses built by children at play. Mm, we might not be doing Uncle Moses. <laughs>
1: well, but no, but that's a strong argument to do it, right? If I can get through something and at least understand a story, but yeah. you oh, guys yeah, read no. it in Yiddish and you could tell me uh, what, what I missed. The that, son yeah, yeah.
0: is she. I'm sorry. That's the yeah. word for it in Yiddish. Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. So we might waste a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, Eric,
0: just to explain to Eric, like, it's. I mean, there's just so many things right there.
1: Right. Well, and is yeah. that the only translation of Uncle Moses that exists?
2: I don't no, know. That's a good Seems question. to be the only one that's up online. Let me check the others. Oh, that was 1920. Uh, here's Uncle. No, no. So far, I imagine once they got translated once, they just stayed. Right. Trans- yeah, I mean, it does
0: often happen that a book that's translated, even if it's badly translated, does not get retranslated.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, or not for a long time. And that's, of course, one of the problems with bad translations. Uh, you know, one of the good things about bad translations is that you might get things translated that are kind of marginal, like the stuff we were talking about earlier the really bad novels that are so bad they're good or uh, things like books of essays that can still be really useful and have a function to uh, explain things. The uh, Isaac Meyer Dick books that, um, that Wex mentioned, like if some of those things get translated by a hack, maybe it doesn't matter so much um, because right. at least they're in English and at least that off- opens up the content to more people. But um yeah, but when a good novel, I mean, I think Uncle Moses is, is a great novel. What do you think, Wex?
2: It's pretty good. That's Wex being enthusiastic. It's a long time since I read it. Uh, so, I mean, my, my, my favorite, Ash, was always Tillamide, you know, Salvation.
0: I have never I read it's that. Called in
2: English. That is a great book.
0: Okay, I will read it.
2: Uh And my relatives are in it, so as a very oh, really? minor, Well, you know, in in crowd scenes, kind of around the concert <laughs> <have a>,
1: uh,
2: <laughs> They're in they're in uh, in Polish of Elder too, but
1: uh, right, but right. It's funny so. that you um you were mentioning uh that somebody said what's the what's the one book that needs to be translated, and you uh you picked the Mendel and Moisha forum is i'm saying him right
2: yeah
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, i wrote down in my notes by the way that i am going to require a crash course in (laughs) names and pronunciations which is probably also fun right because if the idea is that uh part of the audience if not the majority of the audience for this podcast like me uh cares about yiddish and then knows next to nothing about yiddish like mm-hmm. we might, we might, we might benefit from an episode just helping helping me read names out loud. Um, and, we'll,
0: and we'll definitely well, actually, need to do yeah. show notes and things.
2: Right. Yeah, I mean, you can get away with just calling him Mendele, which makes you sound like you know what you're talking. Oh, about good. Mendele. Yeah,
0: you're on a first name basis with
2: him. Yeah, that, that, that's what they always call him. You know, it's says. But that
1: uh, that offer that you got to to translate that book to choose the book that you wanted to translate. Yeah. Uh, based on which one you valued the most was the exact same uh, excuse I used to to first email you as a stranger.
2: Yeah, yeah, I remember.
1: I, yeah. I I asked you to to tell me which one you thought was the the most in need of being translated, and you yeah. picked you picked the Opatashu book. Yeah, yeah Sebelder, it needed the a new book.
2: Book. translation. Yeah, with this other one, it had to be something that had absolutely never been translated. Okay,
1: but now now we've pinpointed one of the culprits. What was his name? So funny that, to call him out, the poor man. Who oh, man? Oh no, the, I,
0: I, Isaac Goldberg? Isaac, oh, Goldberg. Isaac Goldberg. So, yeah.
1: so we can we can put in we can put down in the in the 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 beginning of this project that anything that's only been translated by Isaac Goldberg, it's, yeah, <laughs>
2: he's, yeah, is eligible. Yeah, the poor man.
1: So there's an argument to be made to read uh, books that have been extremely well translated into English. Uh because because that would uh, be nice right but then there's yeah, and an and sometimes those are the
2: important books to, yeah you know,
1: uh, and and also it's it would be very interesting you know not to <laughs> not to massage you too too much uh, but the, but we could assume that books that you guys have translated were done well <laughs> so so we could yes. read those and then Let, there's let's make that assumption yeah, let's go and ahead and, and make that assumption and then there's a nice um a nice element of of uh like expanded annotations to the podcast, right? You've you've done this work and perhaps, you know, there's insights uh that that you can share that that would then, you know, be useful uh to have recorded. And then there's also an argument to be made to to work with really, really badly translated books. And we get to choose. We get to pick and choose.
2: Yeah, pick and choose I think more You know, the important thing is, number one, accessibility. Right. That stuff that's not in print should at least be orderable from somebody, you know, for not a lot of money uh, or available online.
1: Mm. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, the other crazy thing is that uh, even though at one point I had envisioned that we would read the whole way through a book, before we moved on to a different book, there's no reason why we can't uh be more uh uh butterfly esque, ADHD ish, and <laughs> and read, you know, one chapter in one book, talk about it, and then uh put it down because we don't want to slog our way through uh one of uh Robert Goldberg. Did I see it is that his name? Isaac Goldberg Isaac- yeah. Goldberg's uh, terrible translations. And yet, you know, talking about chapter 1 of Uncle Moses for one podcast and then moving on to something that's uh less mean-spirited. You
2: know, right. I don't know. Well, Uncle Moses has got a lot of plot going on, <laughs> you know, like people might actually want to know what happens. Sure. Like he's not an uncle. He's he runs a pawn shop. That that's what uncle means
1: there. Ah. Well, I'm I'm intrigued by that by that choice. Doesn't
0: he run doesn't he run a um Clothing factory? Isn't he a clothing manufacturer? I thought Uncle Moses was
2: the pawn shop.
0: Uh, I thought it was, um, well, it's been quite a few years since I've read it as well.
1: Um, you know, I had another idea, friends,
2: that I Oh, liking. yeah, you're right, right. Wealthy, powerful sweatshop owner falls in love with employee's teenage daughter. Oh, boy. Exactly.
1: So, okay. also, a uh, strong argument to be made if we want to try to uh, grab as much popular audience as we can to go with the, the sex, drugs, and crime elements well,
2: well there's also there was a movie there was a yiddish movie made of uncle moses which is probably not online but uh oh also i'm fun. sure it's available on uh what you want call it uh netflix? on a dvd no netflix in canada <laughs> netflix in canada doesn't have anything oh poor uh, netflix
0: yeah it's very sad so is there something we should do? We should probably try and resolve the conversation at this point.
2: Yes.
1: Uh, what do you want to read?
2: Yeah, that's uh, that, that's the main thing, because until we decide that, we can't really get started.
1: Well, and it seems like, Michael, it seems like you get to
2: pick. I'm going to go out yeah. on a limb.
1: Yeah.
0: You pick something, Wex. Well, I don't
2: know. I mean, part of the reason I, I was plumping for Yento is I actually have a copy in Yiddish at home. <laughs> Yentl is, at least, it's a short story.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, if
2: we're going to start doing Sholem Ash and stuff, it's got to be stuff that we can at least get hard copy for.
0: Because
2: mm-hmm. I'm not reading a 500-page novel on, <clears throat> mm-hmm. on my laptop. Uh, you know, it's, that, that's not going to happen.
1: So, Sholem Ash Yentl?
2: No. I uh, not know. Isaac Bushella Singer. I-B-Singer
1: Yentl, <clears throat> of course.
2: Because that's available in English... There's a you know, the notorious movie version. Yep. Uh, there was a folks being a Yiddish theater version that I think was based primarily on the Broadway version or on, on Barbara Streisand rather than on uh the other thing. I think Shane actually saw it, so he'd be able to To talk more about that. Right. And that's. And it's, you know, it's got stuff that's not typical of Yiddish literature in it. You know, the whole cross-dressing and, you know, gender-bending stuff. You don't get a lot of that in Yiddish literature.
0: Great. Yeah, it's a good choice. I think that's a great choice. Can you send me a copy of the story? (laughs)
2: I got a photo card? It's 40 K? Let's see. Let's, let's have a look at the Internet Archive.
0: Oh, maybe it's there. No, actually, I think...
2: I've got it in one of those Hebrew University, you know, Yiddish series books. Like, it's just a bunch of stories by, by, by Bishavis. Let's see if it's available here. Uh... I'm not getting any of the novels coming up.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't think the Singer estate has mission.
2: <coughs> yeah, I was gonna set out stuff maybe Right.
1: Which is okay. I don't mind binding copy. I don't mind uh buying a book. Personally.
2: No, I think we're trying to figure out how to get the Yiddish
1: to Oh, that's that's your problem.
0: I can work on that. Yeah. I'm a librarian. Oh good, yeah.
2: Does does the UBC Library have any Yiddish holdings? No. What about Seymour?
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'll I'll see if there are any favors I can call in.
1: Wow. Hey, I, I can pull us back to a podcast form and ask you to tell me about uh, this problem. Tell me. Uh, start, Faith. Tell me about uh, finding the Yiddish books so that people can read them.
0: Well, if you're looking for a whole book, it's not so bad. Um, So the big repository is the National Yiddish Book Center in, they're not called the National Yiddish Book Center. They're called the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts, Um, and they have copies you can buy of many things and um, a percentage of those, quite a big percentage, I have to say, they've done a fantastic job. Um, a lot of them are available uh, scanned on the Internet Archive. So if you're lucky, uh, you can find it online. If you're a little less lucky, you can, you can contact them and see if they've got a copy in hard copy that they'll ship to you. Um, and then it goes down from there. Like if it's not there, then you have to find a major – they're going to have all the most common works, so then you're looking for something kind of obscure. Uh, you're going to have to contact some of the major libraries, see if they've got a copy, how you can get a copy. So that's places like Harvard, the New York Public Library, Library of Congress, places like that. So that's, that's books, but when you're looking for a story, it's a little more complicated. Um, because stories, Yiddish stories, would get anthologized and collected in different ways. Um, sometimes, you know, when I worked as a Judaica librarian, it used to happen quite often, somebody would come in looking for a story. Um, it turned out it was actually a chapter of a book. They had thought of it as a story because it had been serialized. Mm. So they were actually looking for a chapter. And sometimes they had even been published in chapbooks as separate chapters and so sometimes they were sort of treated as standalone short stories so quite complicated to figure out what you're looking at is this a story or is this part of a book Um, there's just a lot of complications with stories it's also kind of easy for um, for stories to get buried if they're not for instance the title story of a book how do you know which book it's in Um, some library catalogs itemize everything in the, you know, in the table of contents. Some catalogs, some library catalogs don't do that. Um, so it can be quite complicated trying to find a story. And when you have somebody who has, has quite a prolific output, which, um, a singer certainly did in Yiddish, um, it, yeah, it can be complicated, There's indexes of some of the major writers, but not necessarily all of them. I don't think there's a short story index for parrots, uh, for example. So, yeah, there's a few challenges.
1: Wow. Fun.
0: Yeah. But, you know, that's what we live for. The librarian who just sits there waiting for the insoluble problem (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay, you guys.
2: Well, well great talking to you guys. And, yes. Uh, enjoy the rest of the day, which you have much more to look forward to often I do right now.
0: It's true. Uh, okay, uh-huh. and best best okay. to everybody over there.
2: Yeah, and, and to Winner fred and everybody. And, uh, okay, so we'll talk to you guys soon. Great.
0: great. Okay. Have
2: bye. Have bye, bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.